Redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Welcome to Chapter 10 of the Story Noir podcast. I'm your host, Opal, and I'll be facilitating a long overdue, long-awaited conversation with my girl, Miss Monet Boyd. Yeah! She's the founder of Success Coach Mo and a longtime friend of mine. And we're going to talk about our experiences growing up in the Bay Area, specifically the East Bay, because our our environment was very interesting, (laughs) Um, uh, specifically at our very controversial, now, you know, gone middle school, Um, built our respective businesses after graduating from college and so Mm -hmm. we recently reconnected we found a ton of intersections in the work we do which is why we're here today and so we'll talk Mm -hmm. about how she's maintained her creative spark throughout the course of the pandemic the ways in which she's kept her mind sharp with books and courses and what she does to maintain her passions and so without further ado Monet, thank you so much for joining yes thank you so much for having me I'm so grateful to be here with you and I agree this is very much long overdue Opal is one of my favorite people so I'm excited to to be here and to to have this discussion yes oh my goodness so let's take it back to what 2009 2010 yeah, girl. Portal, you're going to Portola Middle School you know <laughs> and so what elementary school were you at before I went to Sheldon I went to Sheldon in Elsa Brandy. I was a Sheldon shark Okay, go Sheldon Sharks. And, uh, but I went to two different. Uh, so I went to Elsa Brandy Elementary and then I went to uh, Sheldon Sheldon Sharks. Um, and then I went off to live in Richmond and then I went to Portola, Portola yep. Middle School. Oh, and a lot of us at Portola, for people who might not necessarily be familiar, um, Portola has kids from all different surrounding cities. Yeah. And so um, you could be from Elsa Bronte, you could be from Richmond, mm-hmm. you could be like Methel from El Cerrito. And so, it was a very diverse experience, which yeah. contrary to a lot of conversation, um, specifically in the East Bay. But even when you and I were talking before, we made mention of the fact that we had a Black uh, principal, mm-hmm. we had a Black secretary, we had Black yes. teachers, Black male math teachers. That was um, awesome. And so there was a lot of, you know, really positive representation. And so I'm not really sure how West Contra Costa unified teachers are looking nowadays, but right. I want to say that it was quite diverse in like a lot of positive ways. I don't know. How do you feel? Agreed. I feel like we most definitely had a lot of Black teachers, more than I would have expected <laughs> in an area like, I guess what, what is El Cerrito, right? So it's like, um, like you said, even my science teacher was a Black woman. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also like super... I think it was just like super inspiring because we all know that like, especially if you have like, you know, at all skin folk and kin folk, but for the most part, a lot of those folks were most definitely down for us and they saw uh, a lot of the black students potential, you know, and it's like we've seen in different places where if like kids act up or something like that, they they get the police called on them. Like, I don't really remember seeing that at Portland. Like, I remember at Porta, like, the teachers would break up a fight or be like, you need to go outside, take you a moment, you can come back, you know? But it wasn't really, like, they really understood us because our, you know, teachers came from where we came from or a similar space and were just trying to give back. 
yeah i'll add to that like a lot of the admins who like the site supervisors they Mm -hmm. like hey you know be cool they knew a lot of us from like the neighborhood they would Mm -hmm. know other spirits and so i think that element definitely helped de-escalate there was definitely a police presence but i don't know it it was just very different because i felt that the staff did their best to de-escalate a lot of the situations again Portola was the wild, wild west in its own way. I'm, I'm trying to remember. You know, I'm old now. I'm trying to remember all the police. I'm like, I remember site supervisors. I remember police coming for a few situations. But I, you know how when I went to El Cerrito, there were like actual like cops on campus. And I remember that feeling. But at Portola, I don't remember seeing like cops walking in and out of my, my classroom. Yeah, not as heavily as a police presence. I know El Cerrito, even though I didn't go there, they did have their own assigned officers. But yeah, I think they would come over to Portola, you know, abolish police and schools, you know, overall. But, you know, right, at Portola, it, it was a little bit more touch and go. But yeah. it, it still, it, it definitely was a place to be. But <laughs> I don't remember, you know, you had your tight knit community of close girlfriends, some of whom... I understand that you're still close with today. And mm-hmm. I think that's like a theme for a lot of us who, again, grew up in that area. Like we we maintain our friendships. Like I could definitely yeah. you know, trace my roots back to that of Portola and even beforehand, like with Kensington and Mira Vista. So I don't know what it is, that that spirit. And clearly we're here today, you know, right. doing our thing. And so um, you had gone to El Cerrito High School. Yep. And so I didn't have too much visibility into the things that you were doing while in high school. So were you active in like different clubs and things or what, what yeah. were you doing? What was I doing in high school? I was so, I was like so nerdy. Opal it was ridiculous. Um, I was when my first year of um, my first year of high school and on, I was, I wasn't interested in hanging out with anybody who didn't know where they were going to go to college. Like, I wanted people who in my life who were like, I was asking people like, where are you going to college? I'm like, I'm going to Howard University. I don't know about you. I remember I had wrote uh, in like <laughs> elementary school about Thurgood Marshall and he went to Howard University. And so I was like, I'm going to Howard University and uh, didn't go clearly, but, <laughs> but it was, um that was what I did. And I, and you know, growing, growing up in the East Bay, going to church in Berkeley and Oakland, I had a, um, a very like pro-black lens too. And so uh, I was president of the BSU for I think like two or three years or something like that. Um, we had did, we had put on the first black graduation at El Cerrito and in the West Contra Costa district. Um, and then soon it was like everybody started doing uh, various like cultural grads at El Cerrito and things like that inspired by the black graduation that um, my my board had put on. So uh, we did a lot of cool stuff um, at El Cerrito, and we had the space to do it too. I think because El Cerrito was a super diverse place. Um, I always worked. I got into poetry, and I understood that I wanted to speak and you know do all that type of stuff. So I worked for Youth Speaks, and so I was very nerdy, but I also understood that there were spaces and places where I could have fun and be myself, and also like make a little money too. <laughs> Uh, no yeah and I think that El Cerrito again despite not going there but having friends who were connected to it 
Um, I even knew some of the kids who like did lighting. There was acting. Mm-hmm. Like um, El Cerrito has their own radio station, if I'm not yep. mistaken. And so mm-hmm. like, I thought that that was really cool. So even though I was down the street at middle college, you know, nerding out, also thinking about my dreams and where I wanted to go to university, I secretly felt like I missed out, especially because oh. my sister had gone to El Cerrito High. So, you know, I I appreciate the ecosystem and the people that it has created, you know, such as yourself. And so another That's thing- That's so crazy. If I can just say that, like, yeah. I remember I had applied to go to middle college. And because I was so like, so college and like mm-hmm. focused, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, I want to go to middle college and I didn't get in. And I was so sad, right? And it's funny to hear you be like, man, I wish I would have went to El Cerrito. It's so yeah. funny how we always view like what could have happened, what we did. And it all turns out well in the end, though. Exactly. We're still very successful. But the thing was, a lot of middle college kids, because we had to um, stay, we had to maintain our status at the school, like yeah. maintain a specific GPA or else you would be kicked out. And so the threat of having to go to El Cerrito, there were times when I was like, you know, bet, send me to El Cerrito High. I don't want to necessarily be at middle college anymore because I want to be normal. Um, And because middle college, we're not allowed to do sports. We were limited to the extracurricular activities we were doing. So it was all academics. And upon reflection, I don't know if I would necessarily send, you know, a close loved one there unless they really understood the rigor of the academics that expected. But you know, I definitely walked away from it with very positive experiences. But I think mm. um, one thing that I really want to touch on is at middle college, often the expectation is that you'll graduate with both your AA degree and then your high school diploma, and then you'll go straight into right. for your university. That isn't necessarily always the case. Going into middle college, I thought that, thought that that was like the expectation, but I would see a lot of seniors do what we call a fifth year. And so exploring that was something that I actually really wanted to do and so I ultimately did end up staying one extra year at Contra Costa College but I know Mm. for you and a lot of other people from my graduating class went straight into the four year which I didn't feel I was ready for so what kind of signaled to you that you were ready to take the leap um, immediately from senior year in high school straight to freshman year at call at a four year because that's brave (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know Even when I was in um, high school, I had went to, uh, I, I did a program called Global Glimpse and we went to Nicaragua for three weeks. And so I always was open to new experiences and I was ready to have a new experience and live in LA and like, like be, I was like, let me be grown for a minute or whatever. And so I was excited for that. Um, and to just have something, you know, experience something new and different, um, and I wanted, you know, my, my ultimate goal was to go all the way to Howard University, D.C. Um, and so I was like, I want to get away from home. Like, I want to experience, not that I didn't want to be near my family, but really just because I just wanted to experience something different. Um, I don't know if, if I knew all of the benefits of the community college when I was, and if someone would have explained all of what could be done, all the supports that you can get from a community college. I think I probably would have started there. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I also, <clears throat> okay. I think we do, I think we really do a student, I think we do students a disservice by not telling them all of the options available to them. 
You know, I don't think we tell them about trade schools enough. I don't think we tell them about community colleges enough. I think just having such a finish your A through G, get into the CSU or the UC is um is most definitely a disservice because that's not for everybody. You know, and there's so many different ways that your journey can look. And I wish that was discussed more um, because, you know, getting to Cal Poly Pomona, I most definitely felt like an imposter. But that's another thing for another time. But I I. I guess I wonder for you, like, come going to the community college and staying for the the fifth year, you know, or or the yeah the fifth year, really, like, what were some of the benefits that you saw taking that time and that space for yourself? Oh my goodness, so many benefits. One of the things that I mentioned is first and foremost is the fact that I was familiar with the territory, so I was no longer mm. a high school student. I was a community college student, and a lot of my colleagues, you know, that we knew from Portola started at CCC as, you know, first years, but I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, I've been here for, you know, a couple of years now. <laughs> um, so I'm really familiar with the lay of the campus, um, mm -hmm. navigating things like um, applying for classes and registration and things like that. That's something that we had been doing for a while. And so yeah. it was a little bit easier because again, I was familiar with the systems and I knew which professors that I was more keen to, um, to go to opposed to other ones and mm. also navigating, you know, the counselors and, you know, seeking help and knowing what resources were available to me as a community college student and not just a middle college student was a little bit easier for me than a lot of my incoming um, colleagues from surrounding high schools. Cause they're like, Oh, this is a whole new campus to us. Right. So again, it wasn't like, Oh, I I'm better. And I know all of these things. It just made it easier for me when, when I saw people on campus and I'm like, Hey, you know, I've been here for a while. And so the middle college fifth year, I would say ecosystem orbit, however you want to say it, community, um, we we kind of stuck together in our own ways. Cause again, we were kind of removed from middle college, but mm -hmm. you know, oh geez, that Contra Costa college <laughs> would come in and know the teachers already. And then other students would be like, how do you know them? And it's like they've known me since I was a freshman in high school. Right. So, so going specifically to Contra Costa College as my community college of choice was intentional. I don't know if I would have had such ease if I had gone to a sister college just because I hadn't been on that campus. So CCC was a specific um, choice for me because again, of the familiarity with the campus. So that's really what gave me like a leg up for my fifth year and made it again, easy to navigate, you know, how many credits I needed. I knew exactly which counselor to go to for um, wanting to transfer to Davis. So that was the advantage that middle college yes. like offered to me that I didn't even know, but mm -hmm. it made my fifth year um, all the more easier because of that prior context. So I would say, yeah, don't sleep on, on community college. Mm -hmm. uh, there are lots of resources and things, uh, career coaching and just community building. You can take different classes that you want. I don't know. There are a million different reasons that I think JCs and community colleges respectively uh, need to be explored, but it's often villainized as like, oh, it's right. great. If you go to a JC, then that means you didn't try hard enough in high school. But I'm like, while well, y'all were the SAT, I didn't have to. I mean, I did take it, but it was like, it didn't matter to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The like the community college system is, I really love it. Um, it has its flaws with every as an institution does, but absolutely. Absolutely. I was not ready to go to college in 2015. I'm so glad that I waited that extra year. So 
yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Like the freshman experience at Cal Poly or at any school, I think is in, is important. It's, it's a, a different one, you know, staying on campus, getting uh -huh. to know like my best friend now from freaking when we were staying in our dorm in Encinitas is like yeah. still my homegirl to this day, you know? So it's like, you get a lot of love when you're in the trenches, you know, you run out of points. It's like, girl, I'm hungry. What are we going to do? <laughs> so it's it's all that type of stuff. So and you, and you figure it out. So I feel like, I yeah, I, I just, I completely agree. I just wish that there were more option or, or people were more open you know, to telling uh, students about all the options that they actually have and they don't feel stuck or like a failure because they didn't go to the CSU or the UC, you know, or a private school because you're totally not, you know, like that you have more than one option. And I think if I would have known that, and like you said, if this, the community college wasn't villainized, that would have been a totally different experience. Exactly. And I think also educators have a responsibility to be like, hey, this is an option. Teachers, should, you know, during college recruitment fairs, I think more JCs need mm. to show up, but maybe that's on us, you know, with right. our practices, which we'll get into um, in a <laughs> bit. And so um, tell me about what urban and regional planning degree is like and how you're utilizing that today in your um, in your kind of nine to five career. We'll get to your, um, pers your personal business yes. uh, with urban and regional planning um, known to me and at Davis as community and regional development, kind of all one and the same. What Absolutely. Yes, I love that. So urban and regional planning is really the planning of cities um, and, and regions, right? So zoning codes, how you build up your, your transportation, where you can go biking, walking, the way the streets look all that type of stuff, um, his urban planning. And one of the big pieces that really got me into urban planning was resource allocation too. Um, planners have control over where certain resources are, the benefits, who is attracted to that area, right? Um, you know, growing up in Richmond and then going to school in El Cerrito, I saw a stark difference of the resources uh, in Richmond versus the resources in El Cerrito due to who live where, right? And then if you go to certain parts of Richmond, uh, is is very very different too, right? Uh, so Point Richmond, a, in uh, Point Richmond, right? It's like a whole different world. Like, hold on, you know. So all those all those pieces, and so I I wanted to dig into that, and I want to understand um, who created these communities <laughs> where we were putting certain people in certain places, um, and having certain housing and certain tenements for certain people, uh, and what that came about. And it's very, you know. Planning is very racially motivated and, you know, has a um kind of a, a dark history a little bit running through freeways and all those different things running through black communities, historic black communities. And so I wanted to ensure that um those things didn't happen again, that there there was a black person who had that lens and advocacy. And it's so funny, not even funny, but when I got to uh, the university, I was the only black woman in my cohort. Um, and it was, it was, it, I, I had did a planning, uh, I worked for the planning department in high school, interned there, and then, uh, and that's where I, I learned about equitable planning and all these different types of stuff, but um, uh, I was just like, I already had a perspective on like data collection and resource allocation and community engagement, and I was like, and, and people didn't see the community the way I saw it, right, because it was like, privileged people from different places and you know 
And I was just like, oh, y'all don't, y'all don't see that. Y'all don't get that. So it's um, really interesting um, and being on that journey and then being and having the perspective that I had. And so I think I bring that to the work that I do now, uh, working in the intersection of health and housing um, and looking at how we can better support Black communities staying in place. You know, a lot of us are currently being pushed out of not only the Bay Area, but out of California because it's so, so expensive. So how can we keep our legacy communities? Um, and that's most definitely a, a, a planning issue, a, a health issue um, to keep people in place. So that's really what I do now and how it's all kind of tied. There. Yeah, it sounds as though you've always been, and I've understood you to be like a community steward, kind of the person who, you know, lead as you lift as you climb, making sure folks, you know, are always, you know, put on game, making sure that you allocate those resources for them. And so um, based on your site, you wanted to find ways to assure that women had access to a purposeful life and wealth building opportunities, which as we know, as Black women, we often create our own economies and are the ones who were the first um, in line to support, you know, this organization over there or, you know, fish out money for that over there, reach into our pockets. And so you know, making sure that we help folks, even if it isn't from a monetary perspective, um, be college application assistants, navigating financial aid, Come on, yeah. resumes are on point. And so how has you, how have you reached out your hand um, to give these services morphed into what we know today as Miss, you know, Coach Mo? <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it really, as my side business, it really started as I was I, I wanted to be a college and career coach um, because I had so many people asking me, like, how do I get through this college process, especially during the pandemic? Right. The a lot of the and coming out of the pandemic, there was such a disservice to so many students that they really didn't know where to go um, and the support that they needed or who to talk to. So I really wanted to fill that gap. Um, and and so I had a, a lot of a lot of awesome students. I learned that I just didn't have the time and capacity to do the high touch of taking care of um, students in preparing for college and even like sometimes taking another course to ensure that they fulfilled all the requirements, things like that. Um, <clears throat> so I leaned more into and I guess honed in on career coaching because I was like, I know I can I can whip up a quick resume, get you get you together. <laughs> interview prep and all that stuff um and in LinkedIn revamps and that was what I I it started off just like oh wow this is it's, it's fun to me I do it often and I want people to have that foundation and then I think it morphed into when people have that foundation they can go into opportunities more opportunities with ease and um that's the the type of coach or business owner that I aim to be is really the person that allows you to um, have ease in your life. I don't want women of color, especially black women, to always feel frantic if they're not happy at a job, you know, like scrambling or feeling like they have to stay, but knowing that they have the skills and the resources to move on and go somewhere different. Um, because more often than not, we feel stuck in a place because we're not taught how to talk about ourselves or our skills, you know, especially culturally, we're always so be humble, don't brag, you know, and that hurts us, right? Because 
we don't know how to articulate ourselves when we want to speak up and show our transferable skills and our accomplishments and our achievements. So I pride myself on teaching people how to do that and, and knowing how to advocate for themselves. Um, so that's the a long story for how uh, Success Coach Mo came to be. No, I love it. And um, also, I wonder if when you were having conversations with people and seeing what their needs were, were you seeing a pattern or like a through line to like, mm -hmm. hmm, so you might be having similar issues. I'm seeing, you know, again, with getting regards to like getting resumes or like different, you know, milestones in one's career. Have you seen any sort of through pattern that you use for the way that you structure your coaching business? Absolutely. That was, that was like, you just coached me right there, but absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know, it really started off like, uh, resumes. I was like, I was just doing resumes. And then, um, I had noticed that people's LinkedIn's were also not up to date. And it was like, that is where you, people didn't know you could apply for jobs there and network and all these different features. So I was like, okay, let's get your LinkedIn together. And then it was like, okay, Monet, I don't know how to network. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it was like, okay, let's get all this stuff. And it was it was the same things. People really didn't know how to present themselves, right? Because it's the same thing. We're not taught in school. You know, it's especially if you're a person of color and then you're getting into this professional field that your parents never got into. So no one's teaching you that language, right? And so I wanted to be the one to fill that gap and it just be a one-stop shop because I noticed people kept coming back to me and I was like, maybe I need to just create one thing where you could just have it all <laughs> and get it all done so you have that right foundation so nothing's out of whack. So that most definitely was the the through line. Wow. And that's the thing. Like you felt, you know, brave enough and empowered enough to be like, hey, if no one else is going to do it, then, you know, heck, maybe I will do it. And so I think a, a really good perspective that I see you um, have on LinkedIn as well is from the millennial perspective, modernizing these kind of offerings and tailoring it to those of us who are kind of in that generation of like just graduating college or like, yeah. you know, really to mid career. And yeah. so for folks who would be interested in some of your services, what would you say the not ideal client, but like who is someone who's like your ideal customer profile or ideal client profile, um, if you will, if someone who wants, if someone wants to work with you? Yes. Opal is a wonderful, I hear you all the, the business on the word. You better go ahead, coach. Um, it most definitely uh, is um someone, folks, <laughs> we want to be surprised, but folks 30 to 45 are my ideal client. Um, and it's really because those are the folks who have, they understand their skills um, or, or not that they, they don't really understand their skills, but they have an array of skills and I help them to understand and articulate those skills. Um, and usually they're in a spot or a place where they have stayed at a job for maybe five to seven years and they haven't moved or they've been stagnant. So I help them to refresh everything uh, to move to a place where they can get that manager position or go to that C-suite position or move up because they've been somewhere and they're like, I don't, this is just what I do, you know, just kind of like not seeing all their great work, you know, I, I like, I'm like, how many times have we said that? Like, oh, this is just what I do. And then it's like, oh yeah, I managed a million dollar budget. That's just what you do. You know, <laughs> that's like, a big talk, your, talk your stuff, sis. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's funny. And there's so many of us, right? Like who are just like casually like, yeah, I managed that million dollar budget is what it is. You know, it's like, um, ma'am, slow down. 
okay and let's 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 talk about the economy so that's my my uh ideal client it's, it's really um uh, women of color black women who who are ready for a pivot and a shift and don't want to feel stuck anymore um but i do have a a, a question for you i feel like with being some, a young successful um young woman <laughs> yes 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 what made you move from the tech sector and then to going to starting your own business? Because you no longer have a nine to five, right? I don't. This is, you know, story war and eponymous are my bread and butter. Probably so. It took me a yes. long time to um, release myself. But yes, so both story noir and eponymous are now um, my bread and butter. And so thank you for providing space for me to talk a little bit about it. So the two, there are two business lines and some people are confused because I used to have everything under the umbrella of Story Noir, but mm -hmm. some people were like, hey, we love the books, we love reading, podcasting, but like the baby stuff, like that's a whole other niche. And so, um, yes. I, and I realized, you know, again, we can't have all this packed under one because they are two very separate focuses. And so um, with Eponymous Birth Collective, that's my doula practice, transitioning from the tech space into birth work. Um, right. For me, when I was thinking about birth work, I thought it was going to be something I did on the side or I like kind of educated myself on, but like, just, you know, when black women get bored, we, we tend to go get another degree. So to me, I was like, oh, you know, I have familiarity with, you know, childcare, but the intention of me going into the birth work practice, um, part of what piqued my interest was the holistic part of it. And so, um, the specific black cohort that I went through, focus it wasn't on this is how you are a doula this is how you catch babies and you know show up for families and whatnot it was very much about healing our own inner child at first and again wow. I didn't know any of this when I signed up so it definitely transformed me in a lot of different okay. ways but we had to definitely integrate our own birth story and that was like really really complex and just kind of getting through our own stuff and figuring out why we wanted to show up as birth workers because one of the through lines that even something that you and that you and I might realize is like, we're always trying to help. And it's like, where does that notion to want to show up and help all the time come from? Mm -hmm. Is that just a natural notion or is that something we've been conditioned to do? And is that something mm -hmm. we're going to bring about into our practice? Is that something we're going to tell the parents to over, you know, overextend, pour from, you know, your, your cup that you don't even have anymore. Like if mm. we're, we're doing that for ourselves as birth practitioners, we're going to inherently put that onto our birthing parents. And we don't want to do that. We need to clear out our That's own. Good. We got to clear our own house out before we can go into somebody else's house. And again, did not expect the psychological part of that to be <laughs> part of the birth work. And I remember on the last day of the course, she was like, if you never attend the birth, like that's, that's okay. You know, you, you rebirth yourself and, and, and that's, if that's the furthest birth work you want to do by all means, of course, she's not trying to discourage us from going out and practicing, but it's just kind of metaphorical in the sense of like, you know, you can feel rebirth. This, there's going to be a lot of work to be done on the self, you know, going forward, which I've discovered, you know, since ending the cohort, um, a, a year ago. And so it's been, this was not by any means going to be a side hustle. I knew, that calling for me was like, no, we need to, we need to hunker down and, and make this happen. And so what's been really great is that it's actually not too far cry, too, too far of a cry from tech in the sense of like mm -hmm. the organization part of it. 
um, engaging with clients, making sure I have like timely connection or timely communication with them and, you know, setting up a business and whatnot. Those mm-hmm. four things, those admin skills that I got when I was working in tech is something that's translated for me as a, as a founder. And I'm really grateful for that. So I definitely yeah. don't reminisce and be like, I wasted six plus years in tech and all of that. Like, no, those were really core moments for me um, on how to build out, you know, both Story Noir, Eponymous and, you know, future forthcoming businesses. Yes. So that's, that's a bit of my, my five minute story. I love that so, so much. I think that's so cool. And it's such a, um, an important, important work because working in the, uh, the public health space and planning space, they, you learn so much about what black women go through, you know, and just imagine like if more women had doulas or more women had someone who could advocate for them in the room, you know, uh, or could see an injustice and stop it to just have that advocate. Cause you're in so much pain you're going through all these things. It's like, how am I like, I'm trying to birth this baby and advocate for myself, you know? So it's just like, it's, I just, I just appreciate that. I have so much respect and love for doulas um, and the work that you all do. Thank you. And I think, you know, one thing that I would be curious about for your coaching practice is you're not necessarily pushing people to their next career level. It's more about making them realize their potential so they can take that next step. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what I want to do for birthing families. Like by no, you know, a lot of times when you have the first call with families and you're like, what's your intention of working with a doula? And nine times out of 10, they're like, I don't want to die. And as your birth practitioner, you're like, okay, that's a lot of pressure. And I understand where you're coming from. Cause if you watch the news, it's easy to say. And so I'm by no, you know, I can't guarantee that, you know, you're going to die, but we're going to do everything to, you know, in our power to maintain your wellness. And so that starts now in the sense of setting your, your, up your education, making sure you have direct access to me and other birth practitioners to answer questions, making sure you know how to advocate for yourself and get what you want. And if, you know, one person is telling you, that you can't have it, then finding the next person that, you know, will. And so I think that there are a lot of similarities within coaching is you're not walking up to your client's boss and being like, give Jane Doe her raise or else. It's like, "Mm, no, when Jane Doe walks up to her manager next time she's in a performance review and she's like, give me my raise because I have this million dollar budget that I've been managing and you've been underpaying me for 15 years and this is my worth. And they're like, oh, snap, where did, where did that come from? That's you in the room. And so for me, I hope to give that to my clients as well as that empowerment comes from our sessions together. It's not me walking up to the OB and being like, this isn't right. It's like, no, you feel empowered. And you know that this is something you want to speak up for as a client. So do you that. are there similarities, would you say? Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. I still love the the idea of uh of me walking up to somebody's manager and being like, "Give my client a raise," you know. Yeah. Uh huh. Because <laughs> I think I think you know I think sometimes you just need both. You know, you you need to have the um, you need to have the community of people that will pour into you, give you the right education. You know. And then also have an advocate in the room for you, you know, whether you identify that person at your job or if it's your, you know, your doula in the, in the, when you're in the birthing room, like whoever it is, you need to have that advocate, that connector, that person who, you know, 
thinks of you um, in the room is so, so important. Like I, having those type of people in my network, I know is completely the reason for my success. Like I'm, I, the people who are like, bootstrap it and go at it alone, you're a goddamn liar. You know, like, we'll get into the very people who, who tell you that that's not right. The, the books I'm that like, we write, we'll get into that, why that's it's the like, No, you have to have a community of people taking care of you, teaching you, helping you to improve and telling you the truth. That's why it's so important to know who is surrounding you. And just like a, a quick thing that has been, been on my, like my mind for so long, I feel like maybe this quarter is really like, don't believe what people say about you, whether it be good or bad or whatever. You believe what, you know, if you're spiritual, you believe what God says, you believe what you say about yourself. If what somebody says about you is aligned with how you feel, then okay. You know, but don't be just taking in what everyone has to say. That's not good for you. You know, I had to learn that the hard way. Like everybody's not going to feed good things into you. Everybody's not going to love on you and pour into you. Don't be receiving all that. Receive what, what God has for you and what you say about yourself. Like define what you have for yourself and that will change your whole your whole life, your whole perspective. Man, I think I need to tap into success coach Mo because <laughs> you speak into my heart right now. And I think again, that's that's more about it of like we can move mountains, but we can also move it together. Yeah. And make community and have fun while doing it. Absolutely. As highly successful people, I'm not sure if you even remember like in middle school and high school when it's like, you got to be the one person to lead the charge. And if you do it, if you don't do it right, then you're going to let the whole community down and you have to go about it by yourself. And there's just all this negative talk. And I think that, you know, to your earlier point, if we just had the conversation of like, it's okay, it's yeah. gonna, like, you can act, you don't have to compete with each other. You can be in community and uplift yes. the other. I think we just had such a competitive childhood and even in college, it was like, who has the best this and the best that? And it's like, no, now, now and now look at us. Now look where we're at. Yeah, yeah. And I just wish that, you know, and, and I feel like it's no one's fault, right? But because of the world we live in and all the things, right? Uh, and the isms, but I wish we were able to uh, redefine success for people, you know, especially at a young age. Um, and even like, as we grow older, like to change the way we see success, it's like, yeah, I want to see a woman starting a business at 70 and knowing that she will succeed. You know, like I want to, I want to see those different things. I want to see someone fail several times and be like, yeah, I'm still a success because I tried, you know, I just feel like there's so many ways where we're like, you have to make it, you have to do it right. And then there's all this perfectionism and things that stop people from actually growing and moving in a beautiful way. And it's like, if we can just redefine what success looks like. And that's what I try to help people to do is like, success does not look one way for you, me, or anybody else. You know, it, it's it's how we define it, how we see it. And usually success is you waking up in the morning and you continuing to go and live your life. That is success in this world, you know? Yeah. It's not about, oh, would you rather cry in a Bentley or in a Toyota Corolla? Like, the Toyota Corolla is just as good. I don't have to have all these material things. Is it give me where I go? <laughs> exactly. Take me from point A to point B. And so having those role models and also being those role models, because you yeah. know, both you and I are gatekeepers of the community. We're we're gonna one day be elders and you know, passing down our knowledge as mentors. Yes. 
um, which I really look forward to embodying. And so since this is, you know, the Story Noir podcast, yeah. it's right to make mention of some books. And so understanding where we garner our inspiration from, you and I have talked at length about two books that have really changed our life for the better. Mm-hmm. First one I want to touch on is Rachel Rogers' We Should All Be Millionaires, which you put me on to and I ended up listening to and... <laughs> It has really shifted my perspective, not to use the story to our tagline, but it really, really did shift my perspective. So thank you for putting me on. But do you want to tell listeners what they could expect in some of your experiences from hmm. uh, being in Rachel's orbit? Yeah, I didn't even know I put you on that book, but I'm so happy I did. I I am a, a huge, huge fan of Rachel Rogers. I think she's so phenomenal. She's a Black woman. And she uh, gets so much inspiration from Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, And so that is why I love her so much, too, is because she has that historical perspective. And I'm like a book nerd and love history. Um, And but she talks about, you know, uh, the book is called We Should All Be Millionaires. And it's like she talks about a black woman coming herself, you know, coming from uh, New York, being broke you know, parents not, you know, being rich and getting no inheritance. She, she made it happen. Um, she created her, her, her law practice, her business. Um, and, and the, she's so cold with it that she didn't even, um, she didn't even, she didn't, I don't even think she worked for a law firm. I think they offered her something. She was like, that's not enough to take care of me and my family. I'm gonna start my own joint. It had a mentor who supported her and was like, he was like, just do it and I'll support you. You know, so it was mess up. So he supported her. So um, she is so phenomenal. And she was really one of the inspirations as to why I started my business was because she just said, what is something that you love to do, something you do in your sleep? And that was really resume writing, making sure that people could get a job, get money and not be, you know, getting jobs that um, were pretty much below what they were worth. You know, all these black women with master's degrees and PhDs and getting paid um, $20 an hour. I'm like, that don't make no sense. So, <laughs> um, so she really, really inspired me. Um, and so many of the, in the, the thing I appreciate about her book is she doesn't even just talk about her journey, but she gives you actual like templates to use as you start your work, as you begin to have your side hustle. She's like, don't have a logo. It's okay. You don't have to have some fancy website, like just start and people will come. And it's like, so the truth. I don't, I somewhat have a logo that I don't even use, you know, <laughs> you know, and then, and she just was like, just make some money, get some proof of concept. And I remember the first time that I made like a thousand dollars in a week and I was like, okay, this can happen. I can do this, <laughs> you know? And so I just needed that proof. And she, she laid out the steps so beautifully. Um, and I still, I'm a part of a, the, we should all be millionaires Schmilly group. And she brings these amazing women together. She's just read the book he's awesome absolutely and again I just listened to it um on audio and it was really cool to hear her inflections and just yes. hear because it, it isn't one of those quick cash grab kind of things she's not mm-hmm. like you need to reach out to this amount of people and get this mm-hmm. like no she really gives you a sense of empowerment yeah a lot of these coaching books you just have to kind of steer clear of and that's why right I definitely, you know, having that recommendation from you personally, I was like, okay, let me definitely check it out. And I've referred it to at least four people in my group. Yes. 
And so another book that um, both you and I have read, I I think I read it when it first came out and I know it might've been a minute since you had is a, it's about damn time by Miss Arlen Hamilton. Get into Phenomenal. it. She was, uh, it was more recent for me uh, with it's about damn time. I've been knowing Rachel Rogers for a while, okay. Uh, but with Arlen Hamilton, that was su- super recent, like maybe a couple months ago. And reading her book, A Woman Coming from Homelessness and then being a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley is just an amazing story in itself. And she, you know how people are so strategic with their stories, where that is like the thing that you hold on to. Um, And I think it's just so phenomenal, her being a Black woman and then also trying to, her work is all about promoting um, BIPOC, queer people, uh, and they, they being funded in um in the tech space and so her her story her resilience trying bootstrapping now that's somebody who really bootstrapped that thing um it was just i'm like like the confidence that you have to have in yourself you know the belief the almost a little bit of crazy <laughs> you have to have in yourself Delusion. and like <laughs> right like <laughs> right it's just like betting on yourself in a new way like Every time I listen to her, I'm like, you know what? I can bet on myself. I can bet on myself. I can I can believe in me. And so she is like, if you need to hear that and be motivated, if you're a little down, Arlen Hamilton, she the one. Especially if you're someone like, like I've never experienced homelessness or couch surfing or anything like that. And um, and she talks about it and she's just like, if I can do it, you can do it. You know? And I just, I know everybody's circumstances is different, but I just really appreciate that, like, I have more resources than her and I am and I can I can make that happen what I want to happen and you are making it happen which is why you know we're here and so the two books that we had just mentioned were more you know business but also confidence focused but as you know founders it's really important to make sure that we rest and take care of ourselves that's something that I you know, make sure my clients do when they're pregnant, postpartum, and then, you know, just for the rest of their life, because you're postpartum. And I know for you, making sure that your clients take care of themselves, especially during like review season, because performance reviews are very And so rest is resistance by none other than the nap ministry. It's a non-business book, but I think it's like the pinnacle to everybody's business or at least should be because it's a core foundation of how us founders have to take care of ourselves. And so what's been your experience with the NAP ministry and then just rest as resistance as a whole? Oof. Rest. Well, first off, rest is resistance. Resistance is a wonderful book. I think people should read that immediately. Um, <clears throat> it is so you just this is the type of book you have to embody but that's another story um i think for 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 me and thinking about rest um and my intersection with the nat bishop and all that type of stuff um is 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 so imperative because like we we talked about earlier we always dealing with the com- concept of being perfect and overworking and then for black women and women of color feeling like I always have to be grateful to be in a space, you know, not realizing our, you know, full worth. But like you, like I think, yeah, did you dilute this before or after? But how black women have been used in slavery till now, it still is carried out in our work, you yeah. know. And she ties that right. She ties that in. Even I think for for business owners who 
for me, I, when I started out, Opal I was getting people $90,000 jobs and was charging $25 for a resume. Yeah. <laughs> put, put on clown hat and, and suit too. It's okay. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the circus too because, yeah, yeah. Right? And then I had people telling me, writing resumes, almost using the exact same template, people charging $10,000. Yeah, girl. Mm-mm. Yeah, Probably not even knowing half the stuff that you do or so putting any of the work. And she just she brings all that to light. And and even if you you know read the book and then also follow the Nat Bishop Nat Ministry, and she talks about like why do we always feel like we have to be a, like the superwoman? You know, even the pressure that we put um, on Black women to work hard to always be. You got to be in school. You got to be working. You got to start a business, be losing weight. and do all this. You are going to collapse. You know, it's like you need to rest because you need to rest because we need you to live. Let's say it louder for the people. <laughs> we need right. you alive to do the work. If you are if you are in delusion and hurting and and constantly, how can you how can you deliver anybody from anything? What do you mean I need rest and balance in order to be a good, you know, citizen of the world? You mean not operating at 0.2% is not the way to go? It's it's so it's so but it's it's so crazy because we're all taught that to give give give. You know, I remember one one of my friends uh, in college she had said to me, "Monet, I want to stop saying that you I want you to stop saying that you are a resource. You are not a resource." And I was like, I, I, it took me almost probably like a month to understand. But she was like, do not say that ever again. <laughs> you know, and it's like so many of us were like, oh, I want to be resourceful. I want to give, give you. Stop doing all that. Right. We've been, Black women, we've been resources. You're we've been the resource. You're a steward. You're a dot connector. You're, you're resting. You're busy, actually. Forget, forget yeah. all the connection and networking. I'm busy. I'm resting. I'm resting. We got to tone it down. I'm like, so re- overall, rest and resistance is so wonderful. <laughs> I love that podcast. I mean, not that podcast. I love that book. Um, and I and I, I need everybody to read it. Absolutely. And follow the net. Yes. And actually segueing into podcasts, um, I am curious for you if there are any specific podcasts that you listen to and any that you would want to recommend mm-hmm. and why. Yes, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, one, Arlen Hamilton, Your First Million. Listen to that, of course. Um, Rachel Rogers, We Should All Be Millionaires, her podcast. Uh, I also listen to um, Born to Be Seen. Uh, that's another really great podcast. Yeah, a good friend of mine um, started that podcast up and she talks about emotional safety, emotional wellness, how more of us need to talk about it. And she's um, an El Salvadorian woman. And she talks about it in, you know, her life, her family. Um, what's the other? The other podcast uh, is from a, a friend uh, who, from college. And hers is Words With Me podcast. And she she talks about journaling, healing, all that great stuff. So there's so many podcasts I listen to. And I'm so inspired by so many of my friends who have started podcasts yeah let are there any more friends that um you want to shout out on the pod for um us to to mention who else um i would say another friend of mine she is 
she is in podcasting, but she is um doing really great work around health and people prioritizing their health for specifically Black people. Um, and and she is planting assets. That's that's where you can find her at planting assets. And um, I buy her juices, all that type of stuff. Um, and she like it's she just talks about being well and how we need to prioritize our body and a lot of the you know a lot of the the diseases that um people of color especially black and brown people that we have in our bodies is because of what we put into our bodies and so she's shifting that narrative and showing how easy it can be to take care of yourself so those those are the people who I would like to shout out I love to see it yes shout out to the homegrown podcast the ones that we got yes. the computer and we're the only ones you know uh, the one woman band I'm very excited the best ones I'm excited for your eventual podcast I'm, I'm gonna get you to come to the other side and get you a mic you know Christmas is coming up so look out in your uh in your mailbox and so as we wrap up is there anybody else's work that you'd like to highlight I know you had mentioned it with um regards to podcasting but maybe other coaches within the space people to look out for um in public health or just in general like hey I want to definitely elevate this person's platform this would be the time Mm, I love that so much uh so I would say again born to be seen um, my, my good friend, Carol Umanzor, she's doing some really great work around emotional safety and, uh, mindset and wellness. Um, uh, Dr. Rebecca Eldridge is doing some really great work around supporting women of color, uh, their wellness and how that elevates you in your career, in your life. Um, of course at planning assets, that's my, Kayla's my accountability partner my help me with my business getting everything together and then lastly I'm a part of a local group um hosted by my amazing coach uh Terry Griffin the Entre- entrepreneur memberships club and um it's local in the bay area actually you should be a part of it oh, okay <laughs> um and and it's just it's it's uh, it's all about supporting networking all the bumps you have in you know being a small business being a lean mean one to two person business um and so he just comes up with all those supports, how to stay active and all that good stuff. So those are the folks I would like to highlight. Well, we'll definitely link them in the show notes. And where can we find your social media handles and how can we keep up with you? Are your books open at the moment for new coaching clients or what are uh, looking at? How do we send some love your way? I love that. I was going to say always, but that's actually not true. Um, <laughs> I'm like, uh, capacity. But um. September 15th, I am, September 15th, all the way to the end of the year, I'm creating and opening a group um, called Beauty Brand and Bands, the Career Mastermind. Um, It's all about getting the job you want, the job you deserve, having all the tools. I do a lot of, usually I do done for you services, but this is a little bit more affordable. It's done with you. Uh, You have a group community coming with you. So that is a big thing that people can look out for is that Career Mastermind. It's, It's amazing. And um, I created an app to go along with it. Uh, yeah, we gotta talk about that. But I integrated AI for support, all that type of stuff. So, um, something to look out, be a part of, and it's gonna be a great experience. Okay. And for folks who might not be able to join at the moment, is there a way for us to um more passively support you either on like Instagram, uh-huh. TikTok? What are ways Thank that we can you. I always forget to say those things. So on LinkedIn, Monet Boyd, that is where you can find me. Um, 
on Instagram, Success Coach Mo, TikTok, all that Success Coach Mo. Um, and that is where you can uh, awesome. find me and support. I will be sure to link your LinkedIn and then your Instagram handle um, in the show notes. But any last thoughts? This has been so wonderful. Thank you for having me. I am. Um, I hope people are elevated and, you know, hopefully they get some rest oh, <laughs> after this podcast. When you said your books were open all the time, I was like, no, they can't be. Right, I'm like limited to one day a week for one hour. The rest of it, I'm resting. Girl, then I'm at charge up. No, no, but I, I definitely want to make sure you know you have your balanced book sheet. You know, of course, nine to fives are cute, but I'm, I'm ready for you know for you to go for your entrepreneurial energy. Not wishing anything specific, but I'm like, you're ready. You ready? Um, God bless you. But this has been a really wonderful conversation and I really appreciate just again the fact that this has been over like 10 maybe almost yes we really we made it out the mud the mud you know sometimes was bentonite clay sometimes the mud was quicksand sometimes concrete come on come on so word to to Marvin Sapp never would have made it without so with that yeah. I really implore you all to keep up with, with Monet, join her group, support her online, show some love. And until next time, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My goodness. So I'm going to stop recording. But this-